0: Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a new company that just launched Choir. Choir is the financial industry's first conference diversity certification and a diversity tech platform that is helping to lift the voices of women and people of color on conference stages. With a groundbreaking Choir certification, Choir helps conferences measure, benchmark, and improve their speaker diversity efforts year over year. And that's not all. If you are a woman or a person of color financial professional and you want to explain speaking opportunities this year, head on over to hellochoir.com to sign up for Choir Voices. Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. When it came time to kick off season three of In the Sweet podcast, I knew it was time to act bold and take risks like so many of our guests from seasons one and two. So I abruptly canceled my December trip to Cabo and moved my beach chair and blanket literally to podcast row at the Market Council Summit in the Fountain Blue in Miami Beach. And let me tell you, it was well, well worth it. The Market Council Summit is the brainchild of Brian Hamburger, President and Chief Executive Officer of Market Council and Hamburger Law Firm. And I want to dedicate this special, extraordinary, first-of-its-kind episode to him and the amazing team at Market Council, to Brian's daughter, Ella, and his general manager, Ryan Marcus, who were instrumental to my visit and mission to support female leadership in the suite. You're about to hear on-the-spot, in-person, spontaneous interviews with industry leaders who continue to break the mold and shape the future of the wealth management industry. Aaron Klein, co-founder and CEO of Riskalyze. Cheryl Penny, chief executive officer, Dynasty Financial Partners. Joel Bruckenstein, financial services fintech expert, leading industry consultant and producer of the annual T3 technology tools for today. Shannon Spotswood, President of RFG Advisory. Craig Iskwitz, Founder and CEO, Ezra Group. Alan Darby, CEO, Alaris Acquisitions. Rob Baldwin, President and CEO, Tree PMR. George Tamer, Head of Sales, Advisor Engine. Marwa Zakaria, CEO, Asset Book. Rob Sandrew, Chief Growth Officer, Integrated Partners. And Ryan Shanks, Co founder and CEO, FA Match. No questions were prepared in advance, no meeting invites or fancy equipment, just me and a mic going rogue. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you to sit back and relax as I take you into the 13th Market Council Summit to hear from some of the industry's most prominent leaders, the ones making big headlines and bold moves and redefining how the future of business gets done in this week. Let's visit with Aaron Klein, co-founder and CEO of Riskalyze. Riskalyze invented the risk number, which powers the world's first risk alignment platform and is built on top of a Nobel Prize winning academic framework. So Aaron Klein, what an honor to be with you here. Thank My you. My first market council summit, even though, you know, we've known- This is
1: your, your first market council summit? I know. Yes, exactly. How can somebody as connected as you- this be your first that's wild how I, that is a huge miss on Brian Hamburger's part how did he not have Tina Powell here before did, so, what, are you really a conference if you haven't had Tina Powell
0: no gosh. I mean come you're on being so you're being so generous <laughs> I'll tell you what and you understand this more than anybody because you and Casey have three beautiful kids we and you're do a family man and so traditionally this time of year there's a family reunion oh. right before the pandemic we were in Palermo Sicily okay my mother's the oldest of nine children, so wow. as soon as I leave for Market Council, yes. I'm going to Vegas for that family reunion. That's
1: awesome, but this year it's it's Vegas. This year it's Vegas. Not Palermo. Not Palermo,
0: because okay. the family Okay, slight decided. downgrade. Exactly. And slight said, downgrade. Can we please not do the international <laughs> thing, like getting together with family yes. during the holidays yes. while we love each other yes. is a little bit a little yes. bit of a difficult maneuver. Yes,
1: in the ending days of a pandemic, especially. Especially. Yes. Especially. Yes. Good so move, good in move. In
0: fairness, Brian has extended the invitation and I skipped okay. Cabo to come here, actually.
1: You know, now that is dedication. Okay. I'm not sure I would have skipped Cabo as much as I love Brian. Okay. I'm not sure I would have skipped Cabo to come here. So that's
0: dedication. And, and here's what I see here, right? Which is Brian kind of called me out and he's like, what is this that you have this female only podcast? And I said, oh. I said, really, we don't. What we're trying to do, though, is give women voices right. a voice because... Right. I love Craig and I love Michael and they have had plenty of women on the podcast. Sure. But still, the percentage of women voices to yep. men. So I'm here to lift both women. You're
1: here to change, the, to kind of bend the curve, you might say.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's such an amazing industry. I want more and more yeah. women to come here. And I want more and more women to either work for a fintech firm, yep. like a Riskalyze, yep. to really think about what's going on in their financial lives. So a rising yeah. tide lifts all both. Yeah,
1: it's, it's absolutely right. And we have been incredibly lucky and fortunate to, particularly in the field of engineering, hire a lot of female leaders into our firm and there's a very simple secret to that you just have to look for talent in places that you don't expect it right yes, yes. because that that is like i'm i'm very convinced that like uh, 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 only like there's there's not a large percentage of people in our industry in any industry across the like across our country there's not a large percentage of people who are actually sexist mm-hmm. i really actually believe that what what i believe though is that is that we tend to just see talent that looks like the talent that has come before. So the past begins to inform what the future is simply because that's what we see. And there's a little saying we have in our industry, you may have heard of it, past performance is no predictor <laughs> of future success, right?
0: Exactly.
1: And, and so you have to look for that. So one of the things that we've done, we've tried to adopt what they call the Rooney Rule. I don't know if you've heard about that.
0: I haven't heard the Rooney Rule.
1: The Rooney Rule came about, I want to say it was in sports somewhere. I think it was baseball, might've been football. I don't remember exactly. But the Rooney Rule basically said, look, when you're filling a vacancy, we're not saying like, like nobody wants to be a diversity hire. People right. want to be hired on their own merit. Okay, we've hired a lot of women leaders. I have two amazingly talented female executives who have been chair of our company in a row. And they're both named Lori. I don't know how I struck I gold with two Lorries in a row. I was right? Like, wow, that is striking. Right? Gold. So I struck gold with Lori Hardwick, yes. who is amazing, amazing and an woman. incredible female leader in our industry. And now Lori Schultz, who is an incredible CEO. And, and leader in in the software profession, and she's bringing a bunch of really interesting experience to our industry. And so, like, I feel like I've struck gold two times in a row. But how you do that is you you the Rooney rule is all about saying if you're gonna fill a vacancy, you ha- you make sure that in your recruiting pool, mm-hmm. okay, you always include at least one person from under underrepresented group. You're not promising to hire them. Right. You're not saying I'm giving the job to somebody because they're from an underrepresented group, you're just including them in the pool and you're saying, I have not done recruiting well enough if I don't have a single person who's underrepresented for that role, whether that's a female leader, whether that's a person of color, whatever it is, I haven't done my recruiting job well if I haven't been able to recruit at least one person to be a candidate for this role. And guess what? You end up hiring a much more diverse workforce because of that simple rule, because you start to see talent that you didn't see before because it doesn't look like the talent that came before it.
0: You know, that's such an awesome concept for advisors. Mm. You know, a big theme here are these, how am I going to take my firm to the next level? Yeah. In terms of technology, but it's the people behind the technology, 100%. It's the culture behind the technology, it's the leadership behind. So I like where we're going with this, with this whole Rooney rule. You can be an organization of five, or you could be an organization of 500 or yes. five hundred or five thousand. Where are you right now with risk? About two hundred. You've been going okay, about two
1: hundred. Two hundred.
0: Yeah. And Lori, your new chair here, comes from a SaaS background. Yes. Correct? Okay. So yes.
1: So it was it was yeah. actually a, a GRC governance, risk, and compliance software firm. Wow. They worked with auditors and audit functions and then and then grew out to like work with almost every function of a major corporation around governance, risk and compliance in different ways. And she is the first female CEO of a unicorn, a billion dollar technology company in Canada and just was part of an exit that sold that company to a larger competitor for a billion dollars. So kudos to her and I feel so lucky already that I get to work with her.
0: What I've known here is this, right? And I've been watching you for the last few years. Sure. Is that you've expanded the product line now to the basis, the fundamental of risk the whole risk score. Yep. And now I see you branching out to yep. Model Marketplace, yep. to other. So kind of talk about that. What's the big thing right now?
1: Yeah, there's so much that I feel like, like different players in the industry have. Been on this mission to kind of build like the all inclusive platform that can do everything for a financial advisor. And that Technically, is not our vision. Mm-hmm. Like it really isn't, and I don't want to throw shade at any other firm because it's. This is more a comment about us. Like we feel like if we did that, we would be mediocre at everything and not particularly good at any one thing. So we're very focused on how we can very logically and very thoughtfully kind of broaden our impact on the advisors that we're so privileged to serve. And so, you know, you're right. It started with uh, risk, and it started with client engagement. It started with helping advisors like more effectively build proposals that were framed with risk and and help their clients understand what they were investing in.
0: And visualize. One of the things you did very good is you got that visual cue
1: that
0: made communication between an advisor and a client seamless.
1: That's right. And then what's fascinating is it began to transform how the communication inside the the firm also worked Mm. because people would say, uh, hey, the Jones's account is supposed to be a 52 and it's kind of like trended up to a 68. Like we're going to need to rebalance that, right. right? And so what we quickly figured out is people wanted to actually manage their accounts using that language. That's one of the things that led us to build out risk-alized trading, for example, to manage how advisors trade and rebalance accounts. A big place that we built out into was portfolio analytics. People were like, look, like I want to use the risk-alized tools as they say are great for engaging with clients. I want to use this to really like build portfolios myself. So I wanna do like deep statistical portfolio analysis. So we, we built that capability up. Most recently, we also built out this capability called Discovery. Yes. And Discovery is so freaking cool. So it really kind of builds us into the space of investment research. And the idea here is there's a lot of times financial advisors are trying to find like a particular ETF or mutual fund or something like that to solve a particular problem in a client's portfolio. Maybe, for example, they're trying to get them to sell, you know, an old holding in a consumer retail business and and they're trying to find a good fund to recommend. Recommend for that particular slice of the client's allocation. So discovery is what you use when you don't know what you're looking for, right? Mm. And and it's basically a search engine, but one of the things is we're thinking about that problem. We step back and we said, if you look at what all the other tools in the space do, they're kind of hierarchical, like almost Yahoo style. Do you remember when Yahoo, in the early days of the internet, you'd go through and you'd like drill down through these categories, yes. right? and try to find the website you were looking for, right? right, right? right. And then Google came along and we just type what we want, hit enter, and typically it comes up, Right. right? And so we said to ourselves like that needs to be reinvented. So Discovery is super cool. It uses natural language processing technology and it is a search engine for every stock ETF and mutual fund on the planet. We will be opening it up to more types of investment products and strategies and solutions in the future. Today, stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, but you can go on there and type like ETF consumer risk 40 to 75, GPA 3.5 and boom, 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 boom. And it's brought the whole universe down to 10 funds, right? And then you can kind of look at it, you can drill down into those funds and analyze them with our with our research tools and our analytical tools, or you can just compare them right there on the screen across a bunch of different metrics. So it's super cool. We're really excited about it. The response to it has been incredible off the charts. And so we're incredibly excited.
0: I was, it made me think of Amazon. So I, I also yeah. too, I listen to music, right? Yeah. You listen to these recommendation engines of if you're there, and we are used to right now this natural language yes. processing, yes. how we're querying. Everything. Right. Like everything is. I don't want to figure out
1: how to click into your 50 button UI. Even
0: when I'm in Canva, I use natural language processing. Interesting. Right? We're
1: not going to do 50 clicks anymore. Right. We we want we want to be taken to it quickly.
0: That's really, really cool. Well, I think also too, like containing the client experience, the hard thing for advisors, and even for marketers, is when you have to leave the ecosystem to go, okay, somebody was was looking at my screen. I have another screen there. And I said, Well, because marketing, like we have five programs open at right the, at the same time right you might have an email we might have scheduling software and all of that so I like how you've engineered risk Riskalyze and I think that you know thank you it's, it's exciting one other question for you yeah because I think that advisors typically don't have aren't are, are risk adverse right let's let's just that can it. be true okay right that exactly. can be true absolutely okay. the the willingness to take a chance yeah what advice do you have for those advisors that are still kind of scratching their heads yep. and need a little bit of a push off the ledge to say, hey, going into 2022, you don't have time to act. How, how have you been able to be yeah. so bold?
1: Well, I and, and you're saying in like trying new technology, like Riskalyze in their business? Exactly. Yeah. Try
0: a new technology where it's risk, where yep. it's a risk Riskalyze. Yep. Try a new marketing technology. Right.
1: It's hard because advisors are so focused on they're on on what is most precious to them their client relationships and i i there are times that i kind of like look back and wonder that we even became a business that we got off the ground because if you think about it like risk allies to be successful with it you just have to change how you do two things just two things how you meet with clients and how you meet with prospects okay two of the most important Precious things to a financial advisor. I would say to any financial advisor, most important thing they do is they meet with their clients. Like their clients are incredibly precious to them. They care about them. They don't want anything bad to happen to them, and they don't want them to. Lo- to they don't want to do anything that causes their client to lose confidence yeah. in them. They'll lose that client. That's right. their business, yeah. right? Like that's that's their livelihood. That's how they take care of their family. So they care very deeply about their clients. The second most important thing to a financial advisor is the prospects that they get. They don't get them every other day. They don't grow on trees. For sure. Okay, so they want to make sure that that's a productive meeting. So Riskalyze takes a little bit of a leap of faith for those advisors. I can't tell you how many advisors have bought Riskalyze and then they never use it in a meeting, okay? And and that's a challenge, like that's a challenge. We have built an entire onboarding team just to help them prepare for those meetings and get ready because we know that if we can get them to do it one time, they'll be successful about 91% of the time. If we can get them to do it two times, it's 98%. So what does that boil down to in terms of advice? Definitely, if you're gonna if you're gonna take a leap on technology, make sure that you're partnering with a technology company who will invest in you. We make our customers sign annual contracts. Okay, why? Because that is what has given mm-hmm. us the financial ability yeah. to go invest way more than that customer is going to pay us in year one, right. just to make them successful. Okay, because we know that. If we do a great job making the advisor successful, we'll be be working together for years and years and years, and it'll ultimately accrue to our benefit. Go work with technology companies that are willing to invest in your success, because that really can be the difference between trying and it not working out versus trying and it actually being successful for you as an advisor.
0: That's a wonderful piece of advice. I can't wait to make sure that we get this out. I'll ask you one last question sure. because again, this is my first market okay. summit. So what, like, as me, as like a newbie here? Okay. I feel though I've been here for a couple of days now, so I'm kind of yeah. looking. Yeah. You're, <laughs> You're practically a veteran. You're practically a veteran now. What's your piece of advice for me, like being here for the first oh, time? Gosh. what's The main takeaway. What
1: well, I love how care? I love how Brian says, "Do whatever you can." I, we know we have busy lives and and okay. and. Phones are ringing and stuff like that, but do what you can to be present at this conference. And I think that it's it's great advice because they're they're just. I believe Brian told me backstage that I apparently coined the phrase that this conference is the Davos of wealth management. Wow! I I I forgot that I said that I coined it. I remember it being said for sure. So it's very gracious of him to give me credit. But but like, I, I really do believe it's just yeah. a an amazing set of people who are here. And so I've done whatever I can when I'm here to uh, minimize allowing calls to get scheduled because we all have those busy lives of and just going like I want to be there and I want to connect with those people
0: well Aaron Klein always a pleasure congratulations thank on you. all your success thank you and thank you thanks for, for having me on to- Let's sit down with Cheryl Penny, who announced some very big news today. President and Chief Executive Officer of Dynasty Financial Partners. Dynasty Financial Partners is known for assisting advisors of integrity to better serve their clients, run their businesses more profitably, grow faster and enhance the enterprise values of their firms. Dynasty does this by providing wealth management and technology platforms for select independent financial advisory firms. So Cheryl, Penny, what an (laughs) honor to see you here today. You have been lighting up the feed. We have this major announcement here at at Market Council. I wondered if I could just grab you for a few minutes and just to talk about it because it's huge, huge news.
2: I'm I'm excited to spend some time talking to you about it, Tina, and, and great to see you at the Market Council event. I think it's my 10th so I'm a little bit ahead of you. So anything you need to know, insider's perspective, let me know.
0: <laughs> okay, great. Okay. So well let's first let's talk about the big news of the day. So both you and and Brian and Market Council here. I know that this industry event is legendary for announcing unbelievable news, really game changer stuff. So today, Dynasty Financial Partners announced with Market Council. A strategic partnership with Smart RIA. And I want you to talk about really what this means to the entire industry. You have 300 advisors right now?
2: Yep, about 310 advisors, 47 firms, RIAs, mm-hmm. and it's crazy to say this out loud 70 billion in assets.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> thank on that. you. That's really huge. It,
2: it, it's been easy, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So,
0: totally. Yeah. So, what does this mean exactly?
2: So, let me, let me share a, a quick little inside baseball fun, funny story. So, you go back about six months or so, we had been doing a lot of due diligence on the space. We wanted to find a tech enabled partner to help us deliver scaled uh, service infrastructure on our compliance and you know we're providing all the the service and outsource compliance function for those 310 and 10 plus advisors But we're growing so fast, we need to tech enable all aspects of our business. And we looked out of the marketplace and didn't see anything. And we were just about to say, you know what, maybe we need to build it Yeah. And then uh, the team uncovers uh, Smart RIA. And we were instantly impressed. Great team. The product was uh, still early on enough where we thought we could have a little bit of influence in terms of how we build it out. But it was the best thing that we saw in the space. So, of course, I call my good friend Brian Hamburger because he's a great sounding board in particular, on the compliance arena. Of course. And Brian said, well, you're not going to believe this. I'm looking at him right now, too.
3: That's
2: And great. so I forget who teed it up. Doesn't matter. But we said, yeah. you know what? Why don't we partner, make a strategic investment, uh, I said, uh, Brian, jokingly, you have more time than I have, although you're definitely more qualified than me. <laughs> you please sit on the board uh, representing yep. our collective uh, interest. And we ended up coming to terms, which we're very excited about. We really love the Smart RIA team to make a minority, non-control investment where we do have a board seat though, and said, if we move quick, we'll be able to roll it out. Because I didn't want to announce it before our clients got onto the software, right? Because then all the inquiry comes in and I want to make sure our clients were getting the, the service that they needed. So we onboarded all of our clients, which went great. And then it lined up on the calendar for then to wait on the press for a couple weeks to announce it here uh, at the uh, Market Council Summit 21, and the feedback has just been awesome.
0: Congratulations on that. I think what makes your announcement from from my perspective is that how incredible that not only you invested in the technology, but that you also too took a minority interest. So yeah. I wonder if like other firms are gonna maybe follow your lead. And I know Joel's doing a panel tomorrow about building it or, or borrowing it, right? Yeah. Building it or, or buying it. So, what made you go in, in that? I, I think that that's really cutting edge for the industry. Yeah. And everybody right now is having, you know, how do we engineer the tech stack? How do we deliver compliance at scale, marketing at scale? Everything, yes. Client experience at scale.
2: Yeah. So which, which is, you're describing our business planning strategy sessions that we're having at Dynasty right now as we head into 22. It's really what you just said. It's what do we build? What is it that perhaps we buy? What is it that we partner with or invest in? And SmartRA is an example of that. Our joint venture with InvestNet, with Advisor Services Exchange, is an example of of, of that. And we're trying to lay out the roadmap. But Dynasty is a wealth tech business that uh, provides value-add business services. We obviously have a TAMP. And we accommodate our clients with capital right if they need capital for debt or equity so we're constantly evaluating capability and when you have 70 billion right there's a lot of people who show up and they want to do business with you and for us we look at it and say okay where can we find great partners where we can invest in a business, where we think we can make a difference. Because at the end of the day, we are entrepreneurs servicing other entrepreneurs, which I think is a competitive advantage. Right? I often say we get to live our American dream by helping uh, empower others to live theirs, uh, which is a wonderful thing. But a lot of these other entrepreneurs, I started this business out of my garage, right? Incredible. A dozen years ago, I have seen the movie. I've been there and stayed overnight. And if there are uh, maybe some things that we've experienced that can help other entrepreneurs, then we want to share that. I really think about this whole RAA ecosystem as an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And there's so much opportunity, it's rising tides, raising a lot of boats. So for us, we see a business, we like the principles, and we say, "Let's, let's invest, let's help you evolve your product in a way that gives differentiated experience and service to our clients, but in addition to that, helps you become a thriving, growing, successful entrepreneur and we'll benefit from that as well because we'll own a little bit of equity in the business.
0: I love that. I think that that entrepreneurial mindset is really key. You understand it more than anybody. And, and I understand you are also too an equestrian in the horse business. I take a, a horse riding lesson. I started in January after like not doing it for 30 years. I took three lessons last week, actually. My last was Jack on a Swedish warm blood. So do you think like that has given you a competitive view and dynasty a competitive advantage because you came from a different industry right you built it from the ground up engineered you know a very Steve Wozniak type of experience and then in addition to that you moved your your headquarters your home office so you've been all about this fluidity Right, that I think that not every well, all the leaders here at, at, at Market Council are I think have this DNA, but I've seen you exercise it from the sidelines, from my yeah, vantage well, point for over that. the years.
2: I, I think the biggest competitive advantage look, I, I tell my kids, we have two beautiful daughters, 13 and 15, all the time, that adversity builds character. And you know, I grew up homeless with orphaned in the Sticks of Maine and. Who knew that that would be great training to become an entrepreneur? Right, because you learn to do more with less. You learn about fiscal discipline, which is great early on in the in the life of a business when you have a little bit of capital and you gotta do a lot with it. So I think that was helpful. With the horses, thanks for mentioning it. You get into to horses, own horses, whether jumpers or race horses like we have, typically because you hate your money. <laughs> right. The joke in horse racing is you wanna make, right. want, want make a little bit of money, exactly. you start with a lot. Right. So but you know, we've had we've been so fortunate. We've had horses that have won some of the the Triple Crown races Mm. and uh, we have bred some great horses but for me the the horses is uh, is really about camaraderie and family because I get a hundred friends and family together for every race and whether we win or lose uh, I won before the gate even opened right because we're all together enjoying that time together so for someone who's been really busy uh, over the course of their career Having that once a month where we might have a horse racing at Saratoga, wherever it might be, and everyone shows up and it's a chance to see everyone, it's really been a blessing from that standpoint.
0: Well, Cheryl Penny, keep winning. Congratulations to you and Brian. Thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you. Greatly, greatly
2: appreciate it. Well, as we like to say, winners surround themselves with other winners, and that's why we're sitting here together right now. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's hear from Craig Iskowitz. He's a leading industry consultant, podcaster, thought leader, founder and CEO of Ezra Group. Ezra Group provides technology and strategy solutions to the wealth management industry. Joel Bruckenstein joins the conversation with Craig Iskowitz and Shannon Spotswood. Joel Bruckenstein, CFP, is an internationally recognized expert on applied technology for financial professionals and publisher of Technology Tools for Today, T3. Shannon Spotswood is president of RFG Advisory. RFG Advisory is an innovator in the wealth management industry. Passionately committed to serving independent financial advisors and their clients, RFG prides itself on being a service company first, a technology company second, and a hybrid REA third. What number of market counsel is this for you? Four? I think yeah no
4: well I think I missed one okay or so yeah but uh, yeah it's when I it's on my calendar all the time
0: why so why is it on your calendar I
4: like the way Brian approaches it it's different Because the the other other events you can classify in two big categories. One, they're vendor events, so it's that vendors pitch and that vendors issues, which is not bad. You know that's what they do, which is great. Or they're media events, so the media is running it. No offense against friends of the media, but they have also their way of doing things, right? So Brian looks at it a little bit differently. He looks at it more of an educational event. Like he even calls the panelists faculty, right? Which I thought is nice touch. And he's more interested in, in getting the right people here rather than making money. Like, well, 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 they gave us X dollars, so they're going to get this. And they gave us X dollars, they're getting that. More like, well, how can we present the best information? How can we give people the most, you know, what you want to learn about the industry here and why you want to come here?
0: Is this your first person-to-person conference since the pandemic? It is not. Okay. So, what number is, is this for you? Then?
4: So I went to Riskalize ah. in, in uh, Palm Springs.
0: Okay. So one of the things is that, have you noticed a way in which we converse and relate to one another from a communications perspective? Have you noticed that our conversations have changed? I myself I quote your feedback on this. I've noticed that we've like, hey, are you okay? Maybe questions that we wouldn't necessarily ask someone. Normally it's like networking and you're buzzing here and you're buzzing there. Or as being a person be to mm-hmm. risk-wise, is that just how a market council event is done? It's more like a slower, like hey conversation, it's a deeper mm. it's a, it's a deeper, it's more meaningful dialogue.
4: Well, some people are that way it's it's not everyone's the same so i think some people are clearly this is their first event back they're kind of getting back into the swing of things and every, everyone's different some people jump right back in like i jump right back in like nothing ever happened and it's fine i was talking to someone else last night they're like oh i'm feeling really weird i don't know how to talk to people it's just everyone's different some people are, are more outgoing and they're, they're they're easier to adapt some people you know they need a little bit of time to adjust
5: Another
0: thing that I want to ask you, because you're such a technician, I called you out on on Twitter, your interview with Lex Soplin, and you're known for long form technical content. So as you approach a market council summit, who's got your time and attention? What, what are you looking forward to? Whether a session or a panel or a speaker, what do you, Craig Yuskowitz, trying to get out of here?
4: Well, for me, market council is less, it's not a tech-focused mm, conference, right. which is okay. You know, not every not every conference needs to be tech-focused. You know, Riskalyze is very tech-focused because it's about their technology. Or if I go to the InvestNet conference, it's very focused on their technology, right? So, Or T3 is very focused on technology. It's, a, it's in the name of the conference, whereas this conference is not. So it's more about networking, right? So who's here? Who can I talk to? Like, there are my clients here. There are prospective clients here. There's friends here. People who could be clients here. Uh, people who I could help, right? So I'm always looking to... I'm a big believer in karma, right? So what goes wrong comes around. So if I can help someone out, uh, that's great. And then you can meet them here as well. So for me, the the Market Council is is, uh, part education, part networking.
0: So I want to get to some of your tweets, Mr. Mr. Iskowitz.
4: Are you going to hold me to account? (laughs) So when are we going to get an award for having the most tweets at the T3 conference? I'm always at the top and I get nothing. Nothing at all. You
6: know
4: what? I want want something. I want like a trophy or something.
6: It's just a pain. I want to come up
4: on stage and I'll like get accolades. I'll
3: talk to, I'll talk to T- Tina about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you all hear
4: heard, heard it first. You heard it here
3: first. We've
0: got Joel Bruckenstein. And Joel, remind us of the dates of the, the T3. I
3: don't have my calendar. May- T3 is, no, May 2nd through 5th okay. in Denton, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. We've been there before. We love Denton.
0: Loved it. Loved it
3: there. Had a great time last time. You know what we should get for him? Something nice, like uh, maybe a bobblehead. <laughs> there's, you know, there's only one. But it's Actually, got. There's two Joel it'll a be a Joel. It's gonna be a Joel Bruckenstein
4: bob, not a me bobblehead. It'll be well, a, okay, a, not a you bobblehead. No, I want a you bobblehead. I, I don't need me bobblehead. What am there's only two family? in existence. I don't know. They're very rare. Well, that's they are it's,
3: extremely rare.
4: For being the number one tweeter, I should get something. You, know, you should really get good. something. Yes. Well, you can still think
3: about it. I don't want to put you on the spot. You don't. can think about it.
0: Okay. Right. So, yeah. yeah Joel, any sessions or anything that you're really looking forward to right
3: now? No, we're doing a, a really interesting session on build versus yeah. buy right. with regard to technology. So it's some a question I've been getting a lot lately from large RIA firms, so I thought we'd do a session on it. I think it'll be really interesting, we've got great panelists.
0: Yeah, who's on the panel?
3: We've got Darren Tedesco, we've got John O'Connell, and and, uh, Rob Baldwin from Trade PMR.
5: Fantastic.
3: So really looking forward to that. And I found the one this morning on fees really interesting. I thought it was a really good discussion. I'm going to disagree with
4: you really it was an awesome discussion I can tell you why based on the number of tweets I put out because right, I only tweet right if there's something yeah. useful right. if, if it's a boring I session a number if it's only if it's boring you'll just me post just the people like okay this, this panel went out and nothing like I couldn't stop tweeting on that because it was so, everything the guy said was like that's cool that's interesting oh, I like that right but, so you know,
3: somebody from the audience I think it was Shannon. Who was asked a really good question about financial planning. She, were, she
4: asked a question about fees. What's the
3: average fee, fee for, for financial, financial planning? planning. I, but they really, they,
4: they punted on the question. Yeah,
3: they punted on that one. And yeah. I almost wanted to raise my hand and follow up, but <laughs> I had to make, I had to go to a lunch, business lunch.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have time for that type of nonsense.
0: What was the main takeaway there?
4: There were a couple. One of the takeaways was something I think we all we kind of all know that more RAs are moving to hybrid Mm. fees, a combination of AUM and, and, and subscriptions or flat and that you need to have a menu of services for flat fees. You can't say, well, give us a flat fee for everything. Right. That defeats the purpose. That's what the AUM fee was, a fee for everything. So if you, the, they see you was talking about other firms that have menus of dozens of things they offer with different fees, which they say the, the clients like. So.
3: Yeah, and then it might be okay to charge an AUM fee for investment management, but for some other things, it makes no sense. Like, why should you pay an AUM fee for something like a check writing service, right? It makes no sense. Bill pay. Yeah, bill pay. I mean, those kind of things, it just makes no sense. So I thought that was really interesting. The other really interesting thing I thought they were talking about was when subscriptions do and don't make sense. Like they're saying for, for the high net worth and the ultra high net worth, they see no traction at all on subscriptions. And again, why have they care? that for a while. It yeah. doesn't really make sense to me. You know, for the mass affluent, makes a lot of sense. But once you move out of the lower end, actually, of the mass affluent, it probably doesn't make sense. And
0: I would imagine that it would be harder to train an audience that's already used to a traditional AUM fee and traditional methods of billing to now all of a sudden pivot and go to something else.
3: Well, they were just saying pivoting in general is yeah. challenging, but a lot of advisors are probably A, more scared of it than they should be, and B, it's a problem of their own making because they don't have a fee strategy. So if you don't go into a relationship with a fee strategy, you know, you don't have a plan, you're going to be at a loss when it comes time to have that conversation as opposed to having a standard plan that you apply uniformly to everybody. I thought that was really good advice.
4: It was. And we work with a lot of broker-dealers on billing systems, right? and they have the same problems. Right. It's that there's no one way to bill. You wind up having multiple layers. If you look at, if you ever look at a billing software, there's hundreds of options, tiers, and, and by security type, and by this and by that. So you wind up getting this huge mass of legacy billing, or they were calling it legacy pricing. And RAs are the same. When they start out, they might give favorable pricing to new clients, and then five years, ten years later, they're still giving them that same pricing, even though they're
3: fully they're well established. More, more likely, 20 years later, and they That's are right. legacy clients, and they had a relationship with 20 years ago, and they're probably not even the best clients now, but they're getting very preferential pricing. So joining the podcast, Hi, yes, joining so the podcast yeah, is. <laughs> <you>.
0: So this <laughs> is a perfect. But you
4: have to come over perfect, here because the microphone's see,
0: exactly. So we were talking about that first session this morning about tracing, and I understand that you asked a very very good question. I loved audience, your question.
3: So,
0: yes, you're, I didn't
3: you're like their answer.
0: People <laughs> are talking about you, Shannon Spotswood, when you're not in the room. So tell us what the question was, and I'd love your thoughts.
5: I mean, so far today has just been absolutely phenomenal. So one part of the question was thinking about working with the next gen of clients, G2, G3, how should advisors approach that pricing model? And then the second part of the question was around subscription models and some of these more innovative ways of of approaching uh, the diversification of income streams for advisors. So I think it's a really unexplored and it's easy for, for us as an industry to gloss over it because the majority of advisors are still charging a percentage AUM, and we're still very focused on really managing managing client relationships for those individuals who already have assets to manage, as opposed to being really thoughtful about cultivating longevity in our businesses, thinking about how to serve very effectively the next gen, and, and people that are in different phases of their life, they're in the wealth accumulation phase, they're in a different part of their life, as opposed to, I'm already rich, can you help me?
3: But I really like the financial planning part of the question, because that's the part I don't think they addressed. Yes, And I think it's a really complex kind of question, because financial planning still seems to be pretty labor-intensive, and not everybody explains the value of it. And so I don't think advisors get paid what they should get paid, because I don't think they explain the value of the service they're providing. And they feel uncomfortable defending it.
5: Well, and I think you're, I mean, that was the second, second part of the question. My head is spinning around marketing and behavioral <laughs> finance now. But the second part is, what is the average advisor charging for financial planning? Not enough. <laughs> and I'll tell you what's interesting. In our firm, we actually only have two advisor teams charging for financial planning. Mm-hmm. And it took a year and a half for them to really grind through, how much time? What is the team? What is the specialty? Why do we and feel I bet they were
4: surprised? How much time? How much time
5: there. it is? Why do we feel we are justified and we have a position we can defend in charging for it? And they've been phenomenally successful doing mm-hmm. it. But I mean, that means I mean that's two teams out of seventy-seven advisors. Right. It's a very small percentage.
3: Well, the issue is a lot of people say they're doing financial planning when they're really not doing comprehensive planning, and so I think. The general public is confused about what true financial planning is. And if you do it right, it does take time and it's certainly worthwhile. Anyway, I have to run to a meeting, but it was great to drop in. Thanks for dropping in on my podcast, (laughs) Joel. I loved it.
5: Thank you. We're just figuring it out, right? Tina, did you guys have fun? You did great. Thank you.
3: So we get to see you later. Yeah, of course. I'll
5: be around. I'm speaking tomorrow. Okay, good. Yeah. So, I mean, it was great. It was so thank fun. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna. Well, no, I'll
3: keep it running. Actually. Why not? Um, we have more to say. <laughs>
4: Always. Always. Yeah. I love Shannon because stay back for the microphone, right? So when I call, I call her all the time and ask her questions about. Yeah, she, what did you think about this? What do you think about that? That's really smart. And she's very gracious with her time to answer my questions.
5: Anytime. I think it's we're we're also fortunate to be in an industry where we have so much innovation, so much mm-hmm. disruption, so much to talk about. Some of the best slides that are coming 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 out today are really the underlying reason why advisors exist, which is consistently over time, if you work with an advisor, whether you take the behavioral finance tact of people will basically revert to all of these biases that will ultimately destroy their investment performance long-term, or you look at it just from a straight performance, from a straight alpha perspective, that working with an advisor long-term sets you up to be more financially successful. it is that like clarion call of the why advisors do this, and now we're just in this really interesting time of, I think, iterative excellence in that the model itself is changing. How advisors approach their business is changing. How they're thinking about marketing and branding and why they do what they do is changing, and it's going to happen so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to be sitting here three years from now, five years from now, and it's going to look radically different.
0: Do you also think that with new, you know, crypto NFTs, this whole movement right now, you think that that is going to get advisors to disrupt their business for fear of being like left behind or or not, not reaching that next generation of client that you know is coming in and saying, "Hey, you know what? I would like to it's great that I inherited this money from my grandfather, and I would like to buy my first NFT, and I want to talk to my advisor about that." What do you guys have
4: to say about that? No, no. you know, I'm a big crypto supporter. Yeah. I've been in the crypto space since 2018, and I'm on the board of a company that does crypto SMAs. It's, wow. That's a crypto SMA connector. So, in the old days, uh, remember APL, Pfizer of APL, was check free APL, was the connector between managers and sponsors. No one else could do it because it was hard. Now it's easy, everybody can do yeah. managed accounts, but it's hard to do crypto. So I work, the company's called BitRIA, bitria.io, and they connect digital asset managers who are experts in crypto investing with. RIAs and broker-dealers and they do all the, all the piping all the, stuff all the plumbing that needs to happen. the allocations the yeah. trading the, yeah. you know, the rebalancing all yeah. that stuff they handle that and that's where it's going right NFTs are nice you know it's more like art at the moment right so you don't right. call your advisor if right, you want right. to buy a piece of art right, you know right, it's an right. investment right if you, it's only when you get to the ultra high net worth levels that their advisor is involved with okay let me do the inventory of your art collection or your handbag collection or your car collection but I mean, the NFTs are, are right now not anywhere near where they will be in five years, but... Yeah, I think more on the crypto side, you're going to see more advisors doing it because they have to. They're being forced. And like anything, the, the older ones will just drop out. They won't do it. And like, I wouldn't go to an advisor who doesn't understand crypto,
7: right?
4: Because it's a larger and larger portion of my overall portfolio, and I want them to understand that and understand how it fits in, understand the risk involved, and even be able to give advice around that. Right? You can't talk to your advisor about something you are invested in. Then why are you talking to them?
5: And I think that's you know you mentioned Tina during your panel about how steep the learning curve is for advisors. We are sitting at the intersection of that that steep climb because it's easy for an advisor to be dismissive and poo-poo an NFT, a crypto, anything that's really in a,
4: a robo. A ro- well, would know. you hear my good friend David Armstrong say, "Well, crypto is nothing. It's it's going away." That's the old men talking, right? That that's, that's you know that's from the non-understanding point of view. You don't understand that this is a network. Like, I was talking to someone in the industry, they were like, Well, why can't I just start my own Bitcoin? It's open source software. I'll just start my own. Well, yeah, but I can start my own Facebook if I want right, to. Right. No one's going to no, no one's, one's there. Use it. No one <laughs> uses it. The power is the network. Yeah. The power of Bitcoin is the network. One, one of the powers, right? And you can start, there's lots of Bitcoins, there's lots of coins, right. but they're called altcoins right. or, or shitcoins. Right? To, you know, or because Dogecoin. <laughs> or Dogecoin. Because no one uses them really, right? And that's where you're 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 missing out the value. That like the network powers it, the network keeps it going, and the network makes it something. Yeah. So I'm sure Dave will come around eventually, but he's one of the laggards. You know
5: what's interesting on this? I have a 15-year-old son, and there is a tremendous at that next gen oh, yeah. level, teenage yeah. level, there is a tremendous amount of familiarity and comfort in having a conversation around digital currencies. I mean, I remember standing in line with these kids, buying them tickets to uh, Six Flags, and they were having a robust. Five teenage boys were having a robust conversation about the value, underlying value of Bitcoin versus Dogecoin, and would you buy it? Would you not? Would you trade it? I mean, this is now going to be woven into the fabric of society, and an advisor thinks that they can be dismissive of it. They're they're going to be. They're so gonna let me be, give
4: you a real world example. My middle daughter Emma lived in London for four years. She went to college, got her BA, stayed for the year working, and I had to send her money. So going through my bank, which is the worst bank in the world, I won't even talk at their name, they want 50 bucks to transfer any funds to to London. So I switched to uh, TransferWise and OFX, which are websites, and they charge like $5, which is great, but it takes five days for the money to get there, right? It's still just slow as hell. So she owed me some money for something. I said, she said, I want to pay you back for this like the security deposit on her, on her apartment. I said, here's the deal i make you. This is a year and a half ago. I said, buy Bitcoin with it and you can keep the money. I'm sorry, you sure? Like, yeah, I'm like, yeah. but she did. Of course, now she's like tripled her money. Yeah. But well, that wasn't the point to make money. The point was to get her to understand yeah. what it was. And here's it. Here's the use case. She still has the UK account. She hasn't been able to close mm. the account yet because it's a pain in the ass. She owed me some money, or, or I, you know, she just bought Bitcoin and transferred it. I had the money like we were in the kitchen in five minutes. Right. Boom. Right. So there's your value. That's just one of the. That's, that's a very common use yeah. case: payments, cross-border payments. Yeah. But no banking involved, right. no middlemen involved, except the app, right? We both yeah. use crypto.com, and you're, and you're done. And I've got the money in my account. Two seconds. So had an advisor
0: that wanted to pay us in, in crypto. I'm going to the next okay. session. Goodbye,
4: Shannon Spotswood. So we,
0: I'll ask you one last question. So we had a, an advisor that wanted to pay us in- Yes. How, how does a business get paid? What's the what's the interface? What's the payment gateway of, of choice for like a business like ours to start accepting
4: crypto? Well, it's the same as what a as what an individual would do. You just open the account in the business's name. All right. So whatever whatever method you do. There's a number of different ways. You could open a Coinbase account for the business. Right. You could open a Crypto.com account for the business. You could open you know any number of options that are, are crypto-friendly apps for the business. As long as it's in the, in the name and, and, and you've got the right KYC and, you're, and you're, all, you're all up and up, then it's just another payment method.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, then you can hold it in Bitcoin. You I mean, look at Michael Saylor and uh, MicroStrategy. Yeah, they have Bitcoin on their balance sheet, on, right. in, on their, in their I mean, treasury. That's why they've gone like ridiculous. Right now, it depends how big a company okay. or if you're big enough. Then you would, might go to Gemini. Mm-hmm. You know, a much larger, or or a Nydig, N Y D I G. Right, they're they're institutional level cryptocurrency. But for small companies, you can just open up an account anyway. There you go. You've covered thank a lot so of that. you've covered a lot you. of ground.
0: Thank you. We've got And we have of, special guests. Yes, we've got a lot of content. This here. is the
4: best podcast ever. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Hey, listeners, Tina here. And I appreciate you so, so much for listening and joining us in the suite. I would be so grateful for a follow on Instagram at InTheSuitePod. By doing so, you are helping to fulfill our goal of financial literacy and empowerment by providing jobs and opportunities for the women and men who contribute to this production. We are working so hard on our IG, so make it easy to you to find and access tips and resources from the show. Again, check us out at in the sweet pod on Instagram. Thank you so much. Let's talk with Alan Darby, CEO of Alaris Acquisitions on the subject of mergers and acquisitions in the wealth management industry. Alaris Acquisitions sources, negotiates, and closes new partnership opportunities for dominant local, regional, and national wealth management firms that seek to grow via acquisition. So Alan Darby, great to see you here at Market Council Summit. I know that you are you and I are both here for the first time, right?
8: That's right. It's, I've been wanting to attend this for years. Um, unfortunately, never had the opportunity to. So when I got the invitation, I was thrilled to come down. Of course, it never hurts to go to Miami in December. Absolutely,
0: so. <laughs> absolutely. It's been a phenomenal conference. I mean, one of the things that's really impressed me is that it feels almost like we're at this leadership retreat. You've got CEOs here, you've got heads of companies you've got the who's who in the industry is is here has found a way to get to the fountain blue of miami beach
8: yeah well it's a really different mix than what i typically have seen at most advisor conferences where it's dominated by the individual raas and then there's custodians and things mm-hmm. like that here we actually have different uh, industries like the legal profession a lot of direct capital providers are here tech providers and so forth. But uh, it's, it's, it's far different from a group that brings a lot of different perspectives to the industry.
0: And I know that Alaris Acquisitions, you specialize in, in M&A right now. It yep. is every session, every day, there's been something that's been devoted to the subject of, of M&A here. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk about it? Like Why is it so hot right now?
8: Well, People think it's about the multiples which have been expanding. Mm -hmm. And so obviously that is a driver for firms to consider transacting. But I really think it's this false notion that it's easy to be a buyer. And I was just listening to a few uh, speakers and that was something that they were pointing out. And we bring it up to firms all the time because we get get calls by uh, buyers and they're wanting us to represent them in our buyer advisor model. And we say no to them because they really haven't thought through why they want to be an acquirer. They have nothing tangibly unique that makes them stand out. So I would say that that is uh, something that I've felt for quite a long time, that yes, everyone's a buyer today, but the reality is there's only a few really good buyers and the, they put up the interesting slide that shared essentially and i'm gonna i'm gonna get this math a little bit wrong but it, it seemed to me probably like 80 90 percent of all the transactions that are done
9: yeah
8: are done by a very small group right, of firms right. so while there's the i think the number they that they said was like 220 acquisitions thus far have taken place i think that number is going to go up quite a bit between now and the year end but it's concentrated in like ten firms that have done the vast majority. Right,
7: right, right. And
8: so it's a hot topic because valuations are high. Our demographics have just point to the reality that so many firms are going to be looking for succession prop- uh, planning and liquidity events of sorts. But the thought that you can just be a buyer is really got a lot of interest out there, people are just raising their hands saying, hey, we'll go by too. And I really think they are in for a rude awakening on how difficult it is to compete.
0: You said an interesting word there, right? is that you use this term buyer-advisor model.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: And look, I come out of a traditional wealth management background. We had been looking for M&A succession, which eventually we did, we sold to, to Mercer Advisors. Right. What is a buyer-advisor model? Like when you're part of that succession dating, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're just calling it like, hey, we know we need to solve a problem, we need to solve. For us, it was su- su- solving succession. succession. Yeah. and the. Only owner needed to, and I had a small equity stake in the business, but the owner was also too looking to reap the benefits of creating great enterprise and looking for that liquidity event as mm-hmm. well. But what is a buyer advisor model?
8: So if you think about a, what is the pathway to transacting, uh, we call it a partnership opportunity. That's code for acquisition. If you're a seller, let's say, and you're looking for a potential buyer, a partner, Historically, you've had two pathways to to go find one. The first is you can try to do it yourself, which is quite daunting if you've never done it. You You talk to anyone who has gone through the dating process with potential buyers, they will tell you how much of a heavy lift is. If you don't understand the landscape, how deals work, it will overwhelm you and you'll kiss a lot of frogs. Hopefully you find your prince charming, but you can do it. The other route historically was to hire what's called a seller advisor. So investment bankers, business brokerage firms, things like that. And so that, in my opinion, is a better route um, because they're your expert that can help educate you on what the M&A landscape looks like, how deals are done, etc. The problem with the sell side, in my opinion, is it's, it's all about the money. And you talk to anyone about M&A and they'll cite how it's all the, the cultural fit needs to be right. That's our most important thing about looking for a partner is the cultural fit. Well, the sell side does not focus on the cultural fit. Right, they're they, they speak on the to it. Yeah, they speak to it. But the process of a sell side advisor is they'll collect your information, they'll build what's called a sim deck, which is basically just a pitch deck on your firm, and then they broadcast it out. Wow. To a bunch of potential buyers, and they start this competitive auction process, and so it's all about the money up front. The highest bidders kind of get narrowed down into a few, and then then you might try to focus on the cultural aspect of it. And it's very expensive. So as a as a as a seller or hiring a sell side advisor, you'll pay substantial retainers, progress fees, success fees that easily get into hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we're just coming about it from the opposite end, from the buyer's perspective. So the buyers, which today we represent roughly 20 national and regional firms that have wanted to grow their business by acquisition, they essentially engage with Alaris to go find partners for them. And so we have to study their individual models, uh, meet their team, get intimately familiar with their culture and what they're looking for. And then we go out into the marketplace and try to source those partnerships. So we're sort of a matchmaker in that regard. And so we bring, our process is all about the culture. So we start, when we get a firm that says, yes, Alan, we'd like to explore what a partnership means, we'll bring them through a very uh, robust process. Typically takes about two months where we are educating them on the marketplace. We're showing them Hey, these are the economic models that exist, what they're each designed to produce. We know, you know what, how firms build their advisor value proposition. We want to understand how the seller is prioritizing, you know, what's motivating them in this. What are they looking to to solve for? Is it a monetary event? Is it a quality of life event? Is it growth? It could be all of those, but how do you weight those in your priority? Right, right. And then most importantly, we walk through the autonomy trade-off that's what you're doing when you transact you're you're you're, you want stuff you know whatever that stuff is could be money it could be access to new resources growth opportunities all that well the trade-off is autonomy and so we need to understand what you're willing to give up in terms of decision making everyone's different it's a spectrum out there we have clients that are highly entrepreneurial we have clients that are much more pragmatic about what what they want you to do so you have to and there's a everywhere in between so We do that, which takes about a month and a half, two months, before we ever talk about a client. You know,
0: I and love so that. that's yeah. such a great approach. And, and
8: so it's I'm, unlike the I'm getting I'm flowing one in answer to your question, what's a buyer advisor? But I wanted to distinguish it from the sell side, right. which look we're sell side advisors in a number of cases sure. too, but we much prefer the buyer side approach because it emphasizes the cultural fit, and then the clients pay our fees. So uh, unlike the sell side, where the seller is paying us, the clients pay us for the result. But I do want to make an important point. We don't represent our clients in like an agency relationship. We we can't bind them. We're not a fiduciary for them. They're essentially hiring us because they believe our process is going to produce a great fit for them. And so they don't mind paying our fee to find that because we compress their sales cycle to find a partner uh hopefully everyone we're bringing to them is an automatic match for what they're looking for and then we do a lot of heavy lifting and leading through the process so that's what a buyer advisor is
0: yeah the process i i would say like that's that's the key word here. Understanding what's that replicable set of tasks. Yes. That, get you. That, that I feel like even from from our perspective here at C-Suite, even the podcast here, it's taken. It takes years to get to that level of the process. So well, well it's
8: all about the process it is and, all and it's about the process. And that's what we're yeah, committed to. Cool. Uh, yeah. Sometimes our clients get a little frustrated with us yeah. because we forced this process, but we know it works. You know, yeah. it's it's very transparent. It's designed to help vet the cultural fit in a very practical step-by-step way because if you don't have a process of vetting that, then it just boils down to the subjective gut feel of do we like one another, and that's not a good way to evaluate cultural fit.
0: Darby, what a pleasure to see you here at Market Council. Thank you. All good things. I know that you've had a really impressive track record of, of success. I'm looking forward to seeing more and more of you in the future, definitely at these industry events.
8: Yeah, this is going to be a big year. I think 2021 was a record breaking year for us, as it was so, for so many firms, but uh, we don't see it slowing down in 22. So, uh, looking forward to it.
0: Congratulations.
8: Thank you, Tina. Here's my conversation
0: with Rob Baldwin, president and CEO of Trade PMR, the privately held brokerage and custodian services provider based in Gainesville, Florida. They work to streamline fee-only investment advisors' operations through comprehensive custodial, operational, and trading support. Rob Baldwin, wow! CEO and founder of Trade PMR. It's so great to see you here in the suite and to grab this time. Thank you so much for making yourself available. I know you just got off the stage just a little while ago, and you know that I've been a big Trade PMR fan for years and years. We've been running into each other at T3 for, I don't know, how many years now.
6: Good to be here. Thanks for asking me to sit down with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I know that you just also, too, got off stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Joe see there are a couple other people, but you're up to such great things at Trade PMR, constantly in the press, an announcement three weeks ago, May 26th, May 19th, March 23rd, you're always like in my feed. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what was going on in the panel and some of the latest things that you're doing really cool at Trade PMR.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we just finished completing a white paper on data and uh, ownership of data and trying to educate advisors that they need to own and control their own data and make sure that no matter who they do business with, whatever the vendor and the uh, the supplier is of their CRM or whatever component they use, is allowing them to own and control their data. And if they don't, then RAs need to wise up and understand they might have to contract out with a third party supplier for a data warehouse or something to that effect. Because as we continue to roll down the path of growing intelligence with our information, if we don't have our data and we don't own our data, We have nothing. We can't scrub our data, we can't uh, run through our data and figure out what kind of client base we have, what our demographics are, how we're growing, how we're not growing, who our best clients are, who our worst clients are. All those demographics, unless you have data, you can't answer that question. So that was one of the topics of our conversation, as well as, should you build or should you integrate technology? So the panelists were fantastic, came from different backgrounds. And it really, I think, helped advisors answer the question of what does it actually take to delve into the world of programming and building software. And it's uh, it's a it's a task that I think mis, is misunderstood and misappropriated in many ways because a lot of people think, probably what I thought 30 years ago, that you could develop software, put it in a box. Get rid of your software developers and run that box for four to five years and then maybe improve it a little bit as times change and so forth. And it was a one-time investment. But that is far from the truth because today we have PII, we have uh, cybersecurity issues, you have database issues, you have to own and control this data, you have to police and monitor it. And then you have technology changes that are never ending. So to take a project on and to say, I'm going to build software is a a million-dollar-a-year project to begin with at the very base level. And I don't think many RAs understand that, Yeah.
4: Yeah. so
6: they need to understand that if they're going to take this information, they're going to take this data, and they're going to present it to clients, they have a lot more issues than they ever thought. It's not that easy. Currently, everyone outsources technology to third-party vendors, and when they do that, they put the onus on those third-party vendors for cybersecurity and PII. But when they take that data and they present it to a client, they now are in charge of answering the questions to the regulators of that control of that data and how they monitor, control it, and govern it for cybersecurity. So those issues are really serious and firms get shut down if they don't do it properly. So you can't have a regulator walk in your door one day and say, how are you solving cybersecurity issue and you're operating within a box, and all of a sudden they say, well, wh- who's going to answer questions about cybersecurity? It's surely not going to be the owner of RIA because he doesn't know anything about it. Absolutely not. So he better have those people on staff who understand it, operate it, and can answer the questions, and who governance that software according to the SEC rules. And if they don't, they're in real, real hot water. So it's a big undertaking today to, to build software. It's yeah. not something that's just an ABC, we're going to solve this problem. And so I'm a big believer in, if you're going to develop software, you need to stay in your wheelhouse. You need to stay in, in, in your lane of what you build and, and control. Because as a custodian, I'm going to provide complex trading, rebalancing, new account operations, and so forth. That's my domain. I understand it. That's what is important to a client who does business with us. They get that. An RIA needs to figure out how to make efficient workflows and to take different pieces of software and integrate them properly to where they can they can make sure that they operate a business efficiently. And that's their job. But it's not really to do an undertaking to develop a CRM or a right, portfolio right, management right. Everybody
0: system. Everybody wants to be the great, the great treatment. <clears throat> and nobody understands more the, the complexity and the evolution of how software has changed more than, than you. How open is Trade PMR?
6: Uh, we're almost 24 years old.
0: Yeah, like that yeah. blew me away. And so now I have to imagine too, one of the things that I talked about yesterday on the panel was the TD trade and the Schwab, that merger, and how we saw like a lot of our clients now lose that service model and even use, lose some of the technology integration. Like, wow, where where does all that go?
6: Well, let me take you back a little bit, because if you may not remember, but Tripumar was birthed out of a bad M&A transition with a custodian 24 years ago. So that's why I decided to start Trade PMR because I am a former RIA. I ran a book of business and I custodied multiple custodians and one of them got bought by another one and they lost my data. Oh gosh. They lost my client's assets. Oh
0: my gosh.
6: So you can imagine what that's like in your community, in your city, um, you're trusting a custodial-custodial transition to be seamless, and it wasn't. That's So unbelievable. what happens then? Well, I got the black eye. The custodian didn't. So I ended up eventually having to fax statements to the custodian, the new custodian, and saying, I need 100 shares of this, and I need 100.4 or 5 shares of this mutual fund in this account, and this, you know, over and over and over again to repopulate those accounts. But guess what? I lost all cost basis, all history, all information, God. and that was a really bad situation. So TRE PMR was birthed out of a bad merger. And here we are again, 9,000 RIAs oh, yeah, are about to go through a transition.
0: Oh my God!
6: And it's not seamless. Yeah. I'm just gonna tell this, I, 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 I'm boldly stating it's not seamless because the custodians use different platforms for their banking, their ACHs, their check writing, all different types of systems that are different. Even the beneficiaries are going to have to change and be rewritten on an IRA account. So yes, you may not have to re-paper the new account, but all the other documents have to be supported over time. And they will have to go back and support those documents with the new custodian Over time. And that's it's not going to be talked about because it's not the question people are asking. They're asking about do I have to repaper? Well, you can say no to that question, but it doesn't mean you're not going to have a hell of a lot of work to do to make sure your customers are not uninterrupted. Take that to the next level, Tina. Think about your technology suite that you've developed with your prior custodian, and now try to match it to the new custodian and making sure the data is uninterrupted from let's say December 20th to December 21st, when that transition occurs. Yeah. It's a monumental yeah, task. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's no way that <clears throat> can happen. It's like me saying, okay, I'm going to go from this MacBook Pro here, and then I'm going to go to a Dell, and that, expecting everything to be like, exactly. even worse than that. It's just like, that is going to be something. I know that you're going to be a T3. I know Trey mm-hmm. PMR at T3. You always, I'm always there at T3. Yes. You always have great like announcements and stuff. I'm sure that these discussions, the data, this whole integration, the migration of data and technology, I'm sure that you're gonna have a lot to say at T3.
6: Absolutely, we're really looking forward to T3. It's one of the greatest conferences out there yeah. for technology and it's, it's the best place for advisors to go to figure out what they need to do, and what they need to buy from a technology standpoint to integrate. Into their practice to run their best workflow. So yes, we're going to have a lot of solutions we present that are brand new. We're really excited about it. We have actually a brand new product that we'll come out with at T3. So it's going to be a big waving of the flag of where we're going and what we plan on doing in the future. So looking forward to being there.
0: That's great. And, and last time I saw you, I remember you and your wife Monica going through the <clears> hotel <throat> with the baby seat. How old is the baby now? My baby my, anymore, my
6: my youngest, youngest is three and a half years old. Wow. And uh, she's here somewhere swimming in a pool and <laughs> enjoying life. So uh, I saw her this morning, and she gave me the cold shoulder because Daddy hadn't spent any time with her. So Aww. I look forward to spending some more time with her soon.
0: Well, yeah. thank you so much for spending time with us, Rob. It's always an awesome, awesome It's a pleasure, Tina. You talk. And again, and congratulations you, on your podcast. Thank you, and thank you for all the work that you're doing in the industry. Take care, Rob. Let's spend some time with George Tamer, formerly of TD Ameritrade and now head of sales at Advisor Engine. Advisor Engine builds powerful and intuitive technology for financial advisors. So great to see you, George you Tamer. Too. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Bye. It's been a while, huh? Almost two years, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. And here we are. It's Podcast Row, and it is booming. It, sure it is. Is. Like I said, Market Council Summit Podcast Row is lit. And I was so happy to see you here. One of the things I talked about on the panel was the fact that TD Ameritrade and the Schwab merger, that story was a big defining moment for a lot of advisors. So so how are you doing afterwards?
7: Great, I mean, I think to your point, it was a defining moment for a lot of people. And when change happens like that, it creates opportunity. So I'm excited about where it's brought me, which is here at Advisor Engine, and the ability to help advisors stay in the same field, help advisors help their end clients, uh, reach more people, and now just be more tech-focused when we do that versus on the custodial side, where you were covering a little bit of everything, to be now focused on one thing is exciting for me.
0: I feel like you have such an incredible point of view because I mean, you managed a lot, a lot of practices over at TD Ameritrade. I had the privilege of being on the advisor panel for three years and the presidential panel. I mean, I saw hundreds of hundreds of firms, if not thousands of advisors yeah. that you've worked with over the years.
7: Yeah, that was the beauty about being in my role and what my team was doing is so that you could see what clients were doing really well maybe where there were some pitfalls, maybe what they should be doing. And with that sort of view of the landscape, you get called into a lot of different conversations. People want to talk to you about valuation, client segmentation, which technology do they want to use, how should they structure fees or um, model asset management. So you sort of touched it all. And to bring that perspective to a technology company like Advisor Engine and say, hey, this technology is fantastic, but here's how it actually works to improve the real problem that you're trying to address, which might be onboarding clients or a segmentation issue or how do you reach more clients at scale. The technology is what solves for that, but to have the perspective of how that change actually cascades across the the advisor's business is exciting.
0: Yeah, that's the key word there, cascade, because it touches everything. Right. People have got to be retrained. Processes need to be redefined. The way that you your whole entire client experience now is different. A, a couple of things because I'm I'm relatively new to understanding what uh, I've, I've seen Advisor Engine over the years. Are is Advisor Engine like a off-the-shelf kind of a solution, or is it a bespoke product that is augmented specifically for that practice?
7: Yeah, I mean, I want to say it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So, off-the-shelf meaning we've got the um, client onboarding, the new account opening, the model management, and the um, performance reporting, you know, all in one with the client portal. But what's bespoke about it is, it's your risk questionnaire, it's your models, mm. it's the way you want to trade and rebalance. So it takes, I would call it mass customization, wow. is what we're trying for. And then on top of that, we've got what was once known as the Juncture CRM, oh, you know, yeah. advisor engine sure. CRM, that really is what gets most advisors day to day running their businesses through the CRM. So to have those two uh, products combined is a really powerful combination.
0: I have to tell you i'm a previous power user of, of juncture yeah we used it at, at, at beacon wealth management so we were on the first iteration of juncture and then we went to the juncture cloud yep. i have to tell you that that software that technology helped us deliver remember who is yep. responsible for what because a lot of times that the client journey touches like marketing touches operations touches client service touches business development touches relationship management touches everybody and everything and that software made us like our operations we shine yep through
7: that and that's that mass customization we talked about this is a CRM that was purpose built yeah. for advisors Greg, Greg yep so it yep. comes out of the cool. box mm-hmm. right yeah. as a advisor based CRM but it's bespoke when it, you start to implement your specific workflow your specific segmentation into the workflows in the system that come out of the box with the juncture. Yeah. So you can sort of get the best of both worlds. It's not like you're trying to buy Microsoft Dynamics and then have to get an overlay on top of that and then customize it on top of that, right? right so right. It's, a, it's a purpose-built CRM for our industry.
0: Interesting. So now, how many times, you being that you've been in the industry for how many years now?
7: 25. 25, (laughs) and
0: incredible. And it was great that you and I were able to check in during the pandemic, because I know that you're a father of of four kids. That's
7: right, yeah.
0: And and your wife is I'll I'll let you I'll let you tell the story to, I'm really blown away by this so what does your wife do
7: Yeah she's a nurse a neonatal, neonatal intensive care nurse so gets to snuggle with babies yeah. all day and, and and do a lot of great work
0: Yeah so God bless your wife yeah. and, and you know a first responder so it's great to have you here How many market councils have you been to
7: Ah uh, I'm embarrassed to say it's my first Oh me too <laughs> Me too TD Meritage was a, lo- a sponsor yeah. for many many years. Sure. And you know, just the way that the scheduling works, we try to divide and conquer. I was all you know off doing some other uh, conferences at this time of year, and and yeah. a lot of my colleagues have been here, so nothing but great respect for this conference. Uh, yeah. But my actual first time being here.
0: Me too. So what are your overall impressions? Like, how would you describe it? Uh, I know one of the reasons to do this podcast is there are people who couldn't make it for whatever reason. Yep. And so I get the question. You're going to get the question. Hey, how is Market Council? How would you describe it as a first time attendee?
7: Yeah, it, it, the quality of content is as good as I've seen at any conference. And you're hearing directly from the owners and the practitioners. So you're getting unfiltered advice, unfiltered feedback on what's working and what's not. And I don't think you get that at many other conferences where you're potentially hearing from a sponsor or a vendor and 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 you're getting the polished answer here you're hearing from a lot of the actual users and, and practitioners and they're they're unfiltered and giving it to you the way you wanna hear it, good, bad, and ugly.
0: Yeah, it's like we're all in this leadership retreat of yeah. some sort. I feel like we were just somehow just like beamed to the fountain blue in Miami Beach And yeah, there's not one single... I I like that the emphasis has been more on relationship and community. No sales, presentations at all. I think whoever would try to do that here would probably be escorted out. So it's a real, like a homegrown community audience, so.
7: And you it's 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 sharing. I don't think anyone is trying to hide. Yeah. Like there's no secret sauce here, Yeah. right? So, and once you can walk up to Rick Edelman in the hallway or Cheryl Penny or Matt Cooper. So you're getting the people that are shaping our our industry. And you're also going to be able to actually have a conversation with them and get, get real answers. And you don't get that at a lot of conferences. Yeah.
0: Well, it's so great to see you. Yeah, you too. So glad and uh, look forward to seeing you at, at more Market Council yeah. summits. I know you and I will be here. This We're, we're going to be going, right?
7: This That's we're gonna right. going to be our first or second age hey, exactly. or third
0: or fourth. We're first gonna have of many. Like a, exactly. So great to see you. God yeah. bless your your family too. Thanks so
7: much. Great Bye. to see you too. Here's
0: Marwa Zakaria, CEO of Assetbook. Assetbook's cloud-based portfolio management system gives investment managers the tools they need to manage and grow. Marwa yeah. to see you here at Market Council. Yay!
10: I'm excited to be here. Excited to see you, Tina.
0: I am so excited. So I wanted to just introduce you to the world. We definitely want to have you in Season 3 on In the Suite. So i was so excited that I saw your beautiful face. Couldn't wait to grab you here on location at the Market Council Summit. Uh, How many times have you been here already?
10: Market Council, this is my first rodeo, to be honest with you. Mine
0: too! And you know what? I love it. We just had and Darby from Alaris Acquisitions also too. This is my first Market Council. I'm loving it so far. How about you? What are your thoughts?
10: Loving it. I told Kate uh, Healy from former TD World and Shannon Spotswood. We had dinner last night and we were talking about it. We were so excited to see you as well. I think that we're doing a female invasion type deal here. Uh And I think Brian's excited about it. He likes having us here. So I think that's what's going to happen. We're the new invasion that's taking over. Absolutely. He wants us here. Right.
0: I, I would say, and I said this to Shannon and to another person, there's never been a better time to be a woman in the industry. I feel that here at this conference, everyone has been rolling out the red carpet for us. Yes. The program, the people, even the food, I had avocado toast this morning. Right, right,
10: yeah. So yesterday was bagels and cream cheese, and Kate said, can I get a piece of fruit? And today we have oatmeal, avocado toast with veggies, and yeah, so they're thinking of everything. super exciting it's super accommodating i think the venue is beautiful and like you said the red carpet everyone's nice it's just nice to be to get together you know it's the energy i think the panels have been great information we we did not get up We said that we were going to get up and walk around. Yeah. But the information is so great. The note taking, I just couldn't.
4: Oh, yeah.
0: I have not been outside. Mm -hmm. So here we are in beautiful Miami Beach. The conference is that good. Yes. At Market Council that you don't go outside until the outside events. It's
10: problematic. Right. Yeah.
0: Mm Exactly. Now, one of the best reasons leadership in the C-suite is something that we're so passionate about. Mm -hmm. And Marwa, you are CEO, chief executive officer of Asset Book. And so I wondered if you can kind of talk a little bit about Asset AssetBook. Um, how long have you been CEO? I'm really fascinated to learn a little bit more about you.
10: So I have not been CEO for long. I have now been in the role for just at the 14-month mark. Wow. Yeah. So it's a pretty new position.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. Way. That's Thank always you. great to see. Thank you.
10: But the company's really turned around. And I have... All of the credit to give to a very amazing and dynamic team behind. They are the reason and my motivation every day for jumping in. Yeah. The, yes, the system is great. I will tell you that. Uh, but it's not a commercial. My commercial really is the AssetBook team. They're, they're an amazing bunch of people. I can't say enough good things about them. So And I am not advertising them, so no one try to poach them. (laughs) I'm just telling you that they are, you know, I am a very team-oriented individual. My background's HR. I was in private banking. So for those that are wondering, what the heck is she doing here? So I do have the experience, but my foundational background, upbringing, love, passion is operations and human resources. And so that's what my degree is in. That is what I believe in. I don't believe that... You can have a successful business without having good people and people that back you are ones that are motivated and successful because you believe in them and that truly is asset book
0: and so tell us a little bit about and I, and I definitely believe what you're saying I think the gospel of fintech it goes back to the teams mm-hmm. And it goes back to the people because if you can't have people that work together collaborate Then you don't have like a great product. So for those people who are new to asset book. What does asset book do?
10: so as a book, we are a portfolio reporting solution.
0: Right.
10: They've been around for 15 years. That's we, a pretty long
0: time. In it's a here, pretty right? long yeah.
10: time. So we had flatline, for lack of better words, just because sometimes when you're around for a long time, that can be good and bad. Right? right? You get in your own way sometimes. But we we had to re-innovate and re-evaluate what was happening with the systems. So there, we've now launched a new system. And so we're, we're moving into new integrations and new features. We have new announcements coming. Thank you, T3, that will... Oh, I can't <laughs> wait for T3 so, in Denton, Texas. Yes, and Fantastic. so we're excited for that event. Yeah. And we will have some announcements that were kind of put on the shelf to move along with them. Just because it's a pretty hyped up event and yeah. that also will work well for us uh, oh, because wow. AssetBook's always been a big supporter of T3 and, and, and vice versa.
0: Yeah. And when we, we love T3. And so I know that here when In The Suite is traveling to T3, oh, good. that we're going to be able to get you and talk yes. about what those big announcements are. It's so nice that you kind of cued it up here. Yeah.
10: That's I'm, actually the first time. So there wow. you
0: go. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to take a great selfie here mm-hmm. too while we're here. And just, I'm so happy to see you. Congratulations Thanks, on what poises to be now for Asset Book. an incredible 2022. I'm so proud of you. And I love to see just like great leadership come in and very team oriented person you are Marwa. The
10: industry is very fortunate to have you, Tina. I can't say enough great things about you as well. And I was so excited to see you and we're, Truly, we're, we're very grateful to have you in the industry and people like you and I'm so excited to have you at T3, which is why I was very happy to announce what I did and we'll be glad to take selfies and much, much more at T3.
0: Let's talk with Rob Sandrew, Chief Growth Officer at Integrated Financial Partners. Integrated Partners helps financial advisors to pursue their entrepreneurial vision. They offer comprehensive business building services designed with the truly independent advisor in mind. So Rob, we first met about four years ago.
9: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it was three or four years ago, and it was the first Wealth Stack event in Scottsdale, Arizona, right?
9: That's correct.
0: Your your firm, of course, Integrated Partners. Jason Lajita, right. was it working and, and just joined your firm. Chief when?
9: Communications exactly. Officer, exactly. Right? And yeah.
0: now look at you! I was just on a panel, and and Integrated. You guys are everywhere.
9: <laughs> it's been a great handful of years. So that was a, that was I think probably a watershed moment for our organization when we actually bumped into you we really were focused on opening up in terms of open architecture multi custodial making sure that we have the right partners which goes hand in hand with technology So that was part of the reason I was there. We brought Jason in to help with the communication. Since Jason started his new firm, StreetCred, we are now a client of them. And it's just been a really great ride. And I think it's where we are in the industry. It's very exciting. I think we're only at the tip of the, kind of in the early innings, if you will.
0: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so the way that advisors work with Integrated, do they become affiliated with Integrated or is it an M&A type
9: model? It's a great question. Currently it's an affiliation model. So the idea behind, the whole model itself is one in which we're, we're trying to act as an extension to their business model. So I mentioned open architecture before, right? Where, We're working with typically higher end advisors in the sense of when I say higher end, meaning typically over 100, 200 million of of AUM, AUA. And they're very entrepreneurial driven, which in many cases means that they have their own brand. They built some pretty strong processes internal. We don't want to disrupt that. We believe independence is just that. We want to give them a great deal of autonomy. We want them to really look at us again as an extension of their business so to take advantage of that scale. But what we're doing essentially is plugging advisors in as investment advisor representatives and they maintain their autonomy and independence.
0: Yeah that's big. I mean Mm -hmm. especially on the marketing side too. Were they able to maintain their own personal brand as well too? Correct,
9: yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah we see that like really big of course on the Mm -hmm. on the marketing side. The idea that now every firm wants to wants the brand themselves, wants to be out in front like Josh Brown and and Barry Rinkholz. I think that they modeled what championing an advisor brand, and advisor persona could look like.
9: Right, right. I mean, you know, again, we think independence is is like just that. It is advisors go independence because they want to have a great degree of flexibility, control, agility to run their own business. And again, the advisors that tend to really gravitate towards our model or towards our firm, they tend to be incredibly entrepreneurial driven. So we're not going to try to take yeah. the keys away, if you will. Just one tweak in terms of our model, where we're now entering kind of an extension, if you will, of the affiliation model and do some minority type ownership stakes in some of these larger, uh, larger advisory teams so that they can come in. We'll essentially give them some capital to reinvest back into the business to continue to grow and then we're essentially part of the ownership structure
0: and so what brings you to market council this year? is this your first market council many
9: this is my second market council and i just think it the knowledge base the just the leadership that's here it's just a great place to really make sure that you're dialed in in terms of what's going on in the industry keeping your finger on the pulse I mean, this is where all the leaders in the in, in our in our space go, and it's just a really great opportunity to get exposure to what others are doing and just hear about. You know, there's a panel right now talking about crypto. It's something that is obviously top of mind for us all. So, just trying to stay on top of things.
0: Yeah, I would mm-hmm. agree. A lot of great themes: M and A, crypto, advisor branding, independence.
9: Right. And I also think being in South Beach isn't that bad either, right?
0: <laughs> well, what a pleasure. I really I enjoy seeing you again. Likewise. Congratulations again on, on all your success. And I would say that one of the great things for us here being at Market Council is how approachable the C-suite is here. In the suite, it's wonderful to be able to bring all of these business leaders, have great conversations. What are the great takeaways from, from this conference? It's
9: always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Let's hear from Ryan Shanks, co founder and CEO of FA Match. FA Match is a two way recruitment platform that is optimized for advisors to connect with REAs, broker dealers, OSJs, and other financial services firms. Ryan Shanks, oh my God, how awesome to run into you here at Market Council Summit. I'm so excited to see you. Wow, you had a great quarantine thanks to you.
11: Yeah, yeah, that was a good times. It seems like that was 10 years ago.
0: This isn't your first conference since the quarantine. I think I saw you at Riskalize, yep, right? Yep. Okay. Riskalize
11: at Excel. That yes, was at Carson's yes, at conference. XL, yep.
0: I couldn't make it to Riskalize in person, but this is my first market council summer.
11: That blows my mind.
0: Crazy, like right? I, I'm
11: blown away that you've not been to this before.
0: Yeah, so when I saw you, I had to grab you here and pull you in the suite. 2021 was a great year for you. You were a finalist. I saw you at the Wealthies. Your FA Match was a finalist for the Wealth Management Awards. And I wanted to get your perspective. You've been in the industry now for probably almost two decades, maybe a little, you know, shy of that. You certainly have a pulse on the industry. You know the people here, you know the workings inside and out. So what are your kind of big takeaways for market council and what's happening right now in the industry how do we like bring those themes together
11: yeah I mean I think it's I mean look coming out of sort of the COVID and I feel like we're still in the sort of a little bit of a COVID hangover yeah. it just won't go away <laughs> right it just it's still just lingering but everybody being together you you realize that like the human element of this business there's so much technology and we you know we've got a technology business but but the human element we've missed And so I think that what we're seeing is, I mean, these firms, the growth from a recruiting perspective is off the charts, from an acquisition perspective is off the charts. I think we're gonna continue to see that.
0: Yeah, yeah, tell us what FA Match does too.
11: So high level FA Match is really, it's it's a digital platform to connect financial advisors and wealth management companies. Now that connection can come from an advisor that wants to move with their clients to just get upward trajectory, cultural, whatever it might be. Yeah. But another element is succession.
7: Mm. It's
11: continuity. It's an older advisor that's like, hey, I want to work with you to help me find that successor. And so that, that's really the world that we live in and we play in. Talent acquisition is it's it's one of the top two priorities for every single firm that we talk to. And there's firms that are crushing it very successful. And there's firms that frankly are, they're trying to figure out getting on the field. So I'm, I'm having a lot of conversations with folks who have never put in place a recruiting strategy. Right. They've just sort of grown organically. Referral from another advisor that's with them. And they're saying, we want to have more intention around this. But what do we go to market with? Here's who we are. How does that stack up against everyone else that's doing the same thing? So differentiating, it starting to get very gray. Yeah. So firms are really, they're having to go above and beyond to really differentiate like what makes you so special. It's compliance, technology, all those other elements. Those are commodities. Everybody's doing that.
0: Right, right. So like culture is playing. That's another theme right now. How are companies really getting it right in terms of of culture? What are some of the, I guess, the standout characteristics of high-performing teams, high-performing cultures in the wealth management
11: space? So, you know, I had a lunch meeting earlier with the folks uh, at Killpoint. And you talk about an organization where they just, you know, their heart comes out in everything that they do. So there is a level of authenticity that there's firms like that that are getting it right. And then there's there's a lot of others that are sort of like they're trying to play the part, but they're not following through. And I always talk about like, it's like when you're doing recruiting, it's like dating. The courtship phase is really exciting for all parties. But that doesn't really matter if the marriage isn't gonna be the same. And you don't really know until you move to that firm to figure out what that's gonna be like. So as we evaluate firms around all the different connectivity points, culturally, that's the human part of this business that you can't digitize. That's where you go on that date, an advisor in a firm, and you ask those questions and you see how they respond to those questions, right? And then from there, you're kind of gauging authenticity. You're trying to determine. And Um, I know
0: you're going to talk a lot about these themes, right? Because it's not... We can sit here for hours and hours you and i days and weeks and and still not have it figured out you're you're introducing a new podcast right what well, that's gonna you're gonna be talking about these themes on an on an ongoing basis that's right,
11: right. yeah okay. the no bs podcast oh I so love it. so it's i i drop i drop f-bombs like it's very real yeah. we're trying to engage in conversations and ask the questions that other people are thinking but not asking And so that's really, that's our, that's our driver and our drivers are really, it's, it's all about transparency and honesty and we're calling out bad practices in the business. So the most recent episode was the, the bullshit recruiters don't tell you. And so it was all about the games that are played and that that advisors and firms don't really know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll make sure that we have a link in the podcast. But the other thing I wanted to do is that during the quarantine, you know, we lost this peer-to-peer learning environment that we have. Like, great, we're here at a conference right now. But for a while, we were stuck in a bad dream. No conferences, no contact. And you brought a a, a concept that was so awesome. You really brightened my world during a very dark time. And uh, you called to Quarantina. First of all, your marketing and your branding for that was freaking brilliant thank you okay not only that your choice of band brothers of others who i who i literally actually did make a couple of paypals i was like you know what you guys deserve it you're showing up i felt like i had my own personal band there so i wanted to thank you for that i saw them performing the first night here at market Mm -hmm. council phenomenal even brian hamburger here who would no BS it, right? He told you straight. These guys were
11: top notch. Top notch. Top notch. Well, and what you realize when we were doing our our quarantine as weekly is is that you got to get to know them in a different element, right? You got to see them sort of winging it. Like, you know, when we do the requests, they're like, uh, they're pulling on their iPhone. Like, we don't know the lyrics, but we think we can do this. And listen, that was, that was, you're right. I mean, we all, has there ever been a time where All of us, not just in the United States, but around the world, are experiencing the exact same thing at the exact same time. And for us, you take it for granted because you travel around and you see people that if all of that's taken away, you start to kind of go really stir crazy, like, oh my God, I miss that. Right? Now, I think that there's a certain population that probably loved not getting out and about right like oh, i have to go do it with the yeah, job but but sure. but to bring all of us together like that it was very organic how it came about
0: but you hired a band so i'm like who does this who does a zoom invite to everyone in the industry right you had to yes you know you had to go through and, and be permission in but still anybody could attend and then you hire a band and then your your technology was incredible. The sound, I don't know how you like engineered the quality of sound. It wasn't just coming through the regular the regular zoom. It sounded legit. I literally blasted my my computer on some of those songs.
11: It was I mean look, it was we did it every Thursday. And yeah, I mean, there were, yeah. there were some of the, I would have my kids would be in there. My wife yeah, would be sitting down in there with kids. us. And yeah, and they, we were, they, I yeah. was, and, and he got to where they're like, oh shoot, because I would go around the house and say, everybody off the devices, <laughs> like we need to have. But I mean, look, that was a way for us to see each other, to toast each other, to have some hope that it's probably not forever. And that we're all still here together, right? And then of course, then we get back to this and we get to hug next and, you so know, it's, brilliant. it's. Uh,
0: was really great well brian shanks fa match thank you so much for spending time in this week we're going to make sure that we have a link i'm going to listen to your podcast after i get done you know (laughs) putting all the stuff writing the notes from this one but i'm really looking forward to it thanks for just being a bright light in our industry
5: and for making
11: time to visit thank you thanks for having me appreciate it good to see you
0: You're listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business and the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hershorn. Our editor-at-large is Kevin Hershorn. Our content writers are Dimple Rashandani and Tina Powell. Our research and technical assistant is Olivia Gonzalez. In The Suite podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a high-performance marketing agency for REAs and fintech companies in the wealth management industry. You can visit c Media. Dot com to learn more and thank you so much for listening and subscribing we've got listeners in 968 cities and 53 countries as of today we are so grateful especially for your five-star reviews because this podcast was inspired by you and created for women who want to lead. So please let us know how you enjoyed this episode and share your thoughts on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, hashtag in the suite. Be sure to check out Market Council Summit at www.marketcouncilsummit.com. And always, if you would like to share the name of a rock star woman or man, in financial services we should interview in 2022, please send it to me at tina at inthesweetpodcast.com and we'll consider it. Again, thank you so much for listening and subscribing to In The Suite.